0: Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clear Note Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. I remember a number of years ago, a Sunday when, um, I don't remember what the storm was, but I think there were only about 40 of us, and it was just wonderful. There's a special feeling of comfort and uh, intimacy when there's a storm outside. That's why I always love it when it's when it rains <laughs> in this building. You can hear it coming down, and God has us in the ark. That's the feeling that I have. I hope you will take an opportunity to meet the new people that are here. Um, Alex and Sarah and Sarah's mother, Ginger, is here. And uh, they don't sit together. And so you might get caught off guard. But i like you to know what the relationships are. And I hope you'll welcome them and love them as you were loved when you first came here. As I was loved, which is an amazing thing. Let's pray and ask the Lord to feed us. Father... To whom else shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And we thank you for your Son, Jesus. And this morning we thank you that you have given us in this book prayers that we may pray, knowing that they are perfectly true. And that in them, these words recorded in your word, the Holy Spirit prays in our behalf with words that are perfectly suited to the condition of every one of us. And so as we read and internalize this prayer of Moses, we pray that the words of all of our mouths and the thoughts on all of our hearts will be acceptable in thy sight, you who are our strength and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the first Sunday of the new year, and so... Um, it's fitting for us to turn to the text of Scripture, which at least I always read at every funeral, probably two or three times in the course of any individual's death. Once with the family right before they go in for the visitation, often before the funeral, and then during the funeral. And this is Psalm 90. And it is a fitting time at the beginning of a new year for us to turn to this prayer of Moses, the man of God. Um, more than in maybe any other chapter of Scripture, this chapter teaches us about the uh, the passing of time. Uh, I want to use a word that isn't used today: the fleeting of time. Time is fleeting; it's, it never stays long in one place. You know, some birds are fleeting. And uh, they, they flit, the hummingbirds are like that. They don't stay long in one place. The crows and the geese. Hello. And the pigeons. But not the hummingbirds. They flitter, and that's to physical movement what fleeting is to time. And this chapter, more than any other, leads us to cry out to God for help and mercy and blessing on us and our children as we consider how brief our time on earth is and how impermanent the work is that we give ourselves to. So let's hear the word of God as it is given to us in Psalm 90. This is the word of God and it is eternally true. Prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back into dust and say, return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by or is a watch in the night. They are like... You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence." For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, due to strength 80 years, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days." That we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Do return, O Lord, how long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. O satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. I, I prefer the King James. Establish thou the work of thy hands. Yes, the work of our hands. Establish thou it. Establish is a much harder word. Confirm. Establish. And so we end with this prayer that God will establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Praise All right. Now, this is a song with an attribution. It has a little preface, and it tells you who it's by. And I want to spend a few minutes on that because it's quite interesting. Uh, recently, one of the men in our church has, has told me that he's sick and tired of being black. All right. But that's not really what he's sick and tired of. What he's really sick and tired of is being black in the middle of a bunch of howlies, honkies. All right, some of you are posers and you try to make him feel comfortable, but that probably makes him feel even more uncomfortable. And so I wanna talk a little bit about race, okay? Little biographical note before I tell you autobiographical me. I grew up in a home where my parents were from the early 50s fiercely opposed to racism. Now, I shouldn't say from the 50s. I should just say that they were always opposed to racism and very aware of its presence in the white evangelical world, all right? And so I grew up... um, And by the way, he's gone today, so you don't need to be uptight for him. You know, I I thought it was ironic as I prepared to see what I was about to do and to know he's gone. But he's gone. All right. So we can talk about him while he's gone. And so as I grew up, Uh, My parents helped to start a school. I've written about this on the blog. My parents helped to start a school outside of Philadelphia called Delaware County Christian School. And immediately, there was an application of a black family to have one of their kids go to the school. Wow, this was a school for white people. It was in the suburbs, you know? And so the sentiment was no. But my dad and my mother, as some of the founding couples, they said, basically, our involvement in this is conditional to us accepting people without respect to their, to their race. My sister, I asked her about this recently, she remembers distinctly having the kids in her class who included some of the kids of the other board members and the other founding families, uh, making comments to her negatively about dad and the position he took on the board, but he carried the day and there were soon a couple of siblings who were black in that school. Now, let me tell you, in the early 50s, in a, in, a, in a white school, private Christian school, unheard of. And I could take you through thing after thing that my parents did when we were growing up. My dad, I, I'll, ne- I'll never forget this. I've told a number of you about it. Uh, you know, this is in the late 60s, right? What were race relations like on the near south side of Chicago in the late 60s? Any of you remember that? Well, my parents decided that we were going to have a friend as we grew up, and his name was Anthony. And I don't know if any of you remember the Robert Taylor homes that have been torn down uh, just south of the loop. Any of you remember them? Okay. I think in one weekend, how many people were killed? I want to say 21 in drug wars in the Robert Taylor. Is this one weekend? All right. Well, I can remember having my father drive in from the suburbs and stop outside of one of the quadrangles of the Robert Taylor. They just faced each other, and they had catwalks instead of hallways. And I can remember my dad saying, now you go to this building, and then you go up to four such and such, you go down. And I was in probably sixth grade, fifth grade, and I, let me tell you, I was the only white face anywhere. <laughs> And I had to walk into those homes. <laughs> it was like, whoa! You know, it wasn't anything I was used to. And uh, then I had to go up the elevator, which smelled. And uh, then down the catwalk, and every eye in that place was fixed on me. Why? Well, my parents were committed to opposing racism at every level they could. Why? In Christ, what? There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. There's no patronizing of women in this church. Women are equal to men. We have different responsibilities and we're intent on focusing on those responsibilities in this church because that's the nature of manhood and womanhood. And if you make women into men, you don't believe they're equal. Because they only have value as they become men. This is so perverse. You know, Satan's always like that. He promises the exact thing he doesn't deliver. All right? He's the master of, uh, what do they call magic? uh, Huh? Slate of hand, or what's the other? Misdirection and what? There's another word for misdirection. Huh? Yeah, bait and switch. There's a a really good word. Yeah. Those are all good words. That's the word. Ledger domain. L-E-G-E-R-D-O-M-A-I-N. L E D, D E F. That's Satan's nature. And the Bible says he's a liar. And he has been from the beginning. What are you guys doing here? Hi. This is just like sweet. That's what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a family reunion where... Back in the late 60s, there were race riots, and Bob Jones University applied to arm the guards of their campus. Their campus did not allow dating between whites and blacks. And they applied for permission to arm their guards on their campus with submachine guns. And guess what? My father wrote an article. It went out across the country, shaming Bob Jones for doing that. And it resulted in quite an exchange with Bob Jones um, in the pages of that magazine. And it's quite funny. If you want to read it, I have it. Um, And there was a cost to this. Make no mistake about it. Deborah was humiliated. Um, I was scared out of my wits. And this is the cost of true discipleship. Do you understand this? Don't say you're a Christian if you don't stand against the sin of your time. Do you understand this? Don't tell me you're a Christian if you're just a Republican. Because Republicans are idolaters. Do you understand this? And so today we stand against abortion. Today we stand against feminism. We stand against the mainstreaming of sodomy. Not because we're bigots but because we believe that God made the male and female and that the fullest expression of the equality of men and women is when they are men and women instead of men becoming women. You know, it's just, okay, all right. Now, you know that I don't preach on the, on the subject of racism, right? I, I don't know that any of you have ever heard me preach a sermon on racism, right? Right? I don't know that I've done it. Have I done it? I don't think I ever have. Now, why don't I do that? Well, think about me and you'll understand. I don't want to go to the past. I'm not interested in rewriting the history books and proving myself to be a good student of dead men who fought their wars. I want to fight the battles today, right? Right? And my conviction is that racism is like the chic repentance in our time. It's the repentance that no man will pay any cost for claiming that he's engaging in. And so I've been at this huge rally in Atlanta where all these 50,000 pastors from around the country went, promise keepers, right? And it was all about racial reconciliation, and I puked on it. You know, where they had a, a Hispanic dude get up and lead prayer of everybody, and his entire prayer was hurling accusations and hatred at all of the honkies and howlies theirs. You know? And it was a prayer. It was like, oh, Lord, you know how these boop, 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 you know? And it's like, dude, in Christ, there's neither Hispanic nor Anglo. In other words, today, our problem is that we're privileging minorities and victims. And that's what we need to repent of. Do you understand that? That's the core of postmodernism. Is that the real privileged person today is the person that has victimhood status. Do you understand this? And so all you have to do is cop a posture as a victim. And the, the, the world is your oyster. You know, I mean, it's like there's nothing you can't do. You know, if you're a a half-Hispanic, half-black, lesbian uh, uh, engineer, you know what I'm saying? The whole world is, is in front of you, right? And so what you have to do is keep your eye on the ball and you have to look at the you have to look at the world that you live in and fight the battles of your day and not the battles of yesterday. And so I haven't been much interested in fighting against racism. What I've spent my time doing is trying to get black men and women to never cop the posture of a victim. That's what's needed today. I've been trying to explain to them that, that the worst thing in their life is affirmative action. <laughs> you see? That's what's needed today, right? Right? But now I begin to see that actually we've got to go back over this again and nail the racism thing. Okay? And we have to make it very clear that in Christ there is no what? Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. The church of God is egalitarian. It's radically egalitarian. Now you're wondering, how on earth did you get there from this text, right? I mean, you're all on board because, you know, it it feels good to have somebody preach against racism today. You know, we all feel like we've arrived. You know, our pastor's against racism. You know, I'm so presentable. Right? What? Wait, wait. Come on. Come on. Can't you let up for one Sunday? <laughs> Welcome back. All right, now listen. Did you notice the attribution, a prayer of Moses? Now, who was Moses? I mean, it must be important if it attributes it to Moses, right? Who was Moses? All right. This is the reason that I'm bringing this up. I'm bringing it up because here's what we read about Moses. Deuteronomy 34, 5 to 12. So Moses, in other words, it matters who wrote it. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord, and he, God, buried him. God buried him in the valley of the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no man knows his burial place to this day. Isn't that sweet? This is so sweet. God buried him. This is why I like us to take the dirt and start the process. Because isn't it an act of love to bury somebody? God buried Moses, and no man knows his burial place this day. Although Moses was 120 years old when he died, his eye was not dim, nor his vigor abated. This last week, we went out to the, to the Amish Mennonite store to buy cheese. We'd tasted some of Dave Carell's cheese, and we thought, we want some of that cheese. And we got out there, and we were looking through this little tiny country store, and the guy that was behind the counter had a big white beard and was dressed weird, you know. And all of a sudden, I saw this, like, amber sort of bottle about this high, and I took Mary Lee over. I said, let's, 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 let's buy this and, and take it up to Michigan at the family reunion and have everybody drink something. Because why? Well, because it w- the, the, the name of the bottle was Vim and Vigor. Mary Lee's been taking it. I don't know. If you, see, if you think she has Vim and Vigor this morning, now you know why. It does dilate your eyes. I, f- I found that out. <laughs> When he died, his eye was not dim, nor his vigor abated. So the sons of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. You know, we are so death-denying that we don't even bother to mourn people anymore. Concept of putting on black and wearing it for a period of time. Death is something that you pay doctors and nurses a lot of money to hide from you. That's about as sophisticated as death is today. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. And the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. See how you can't separate Joshua from Moses? This is a good succession, okay? Since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew, what? Face to face. For all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent to him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants and all his land, and for all the mighty power and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Remember I said it's important who wrote it. The Bible puts the name there, and that's Moses that god what does it say about him it says that god what spoke to him and knew him what Isn't that beautiful Now, I want you to see another place. This is Numbers 12, 1 to 16. This is also about Moses. This is the man that wrote this song. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of what? The Cushite woman, all right? Whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses. Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Now, the man of Moses was very humble more than any man who was on the face of the earth suddenly. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, You three come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent, and he called Aaron and Miriam. When they had both come forward, he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against a Moses? And so the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he departed. But when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous. Piper, John, the John, at this point, makes a fairly funny statement. Which is what? They didn't like Moses married to a black woman. And so Miriam, what? She became real white. And I think it's a legitimate point. You see, Cushite was black. And so this is just plain old, ordinary, run-of-the-mill racism. Racism. Cush is the land either of Ethiopia or south of Ethiopia. Now, how do we know that? Well, we know that because we just know the history, but also in Jeremiah 13, 23, there's a a text you've probably never associated with this, and that is, it says there, can the Ethiopian, now what is the word in Hebrew there? The word is Cush. Can the Cushian or the Cushion, all right, But they change it to Ethiopian in the English translation. Can the Cushite change his skin or the leopard his spots? Listen, she was black. And so what you have going on here is you have just plain old run-of-the-mill racism where Moses is married. We don't know whether this was Zipporah or Zipporah died and this was another wife. And there are people that argue both sides of that. But we know that she was a Cushite and that the thing that was noteworthy about Cushites was that their skin was black because they were from down in Africa. All right? And so here, Moses' brother and sister are um, ashamed, feeling superior because of their race. And, of course, you can never feel superior about your race unless you denounce and denigrate those of inferior races. Is everybody with me? And that's what they were doing. But, of course, racism is such a weaselly, devilish, disgusting sin that it will never be honest about itself, will it? And so what do they hide behind? (laughs) What they hide behind is, you know, does God only speak through Moses? You know, there's no mention of Moses' wife there and her black skin, is there? But the Holy Spirit thinks you need to know that. And so the Holy Spirit shows you that the true reason for their wickedness is what? It's racism. You can't stand the fact that their brother's married to a black woman. Now, did they teach that you that in vacation Bible school when you were young? <laughs> huh? I, I don't remember that. I don't ever remember being told that. No, no, no. Now, why don't they teach us this? Is it because this is unprofitable? This is the one place in Scripture that we cannot profit from. Now, in, a, in Bloomington... We need to not be racist. Now, what goes next to racism is classism. As a matter of fact, race is often a placeholder for class. And what is class? Class is what the Brits call socioeconomic strata. And so if you drive this kind of a car, you look down on those people that drive this kind of a car. If you're a union man, you look down on me because I drive Hondas. And if you're a Honda man, you look down on the Union man because he has to drive Fords and Chevys. And if you live on the east side, you have nothing to do with Bloomingtonians on the west side, let alone green counties. And so today, what we need to be aware of is how utterly disgusting educated people find uneducated people. Right? I've often said... Bloomington and IU don't need to worry about racism. What they really need to be worried about is their hatred for people who smoke and live in double whites. I mean, come on. They despise them. And so let's have a little affirmative action in this church. Let's not have the typical Reformed trip, which is, you know, you're all about uh, you know, Scotch Irish, and you, have, you, you wear kilts at special occasions, and, and you drink scotch, and you smoke pipes, and you play golf, and, and you're educated, and your daughters pursue excellence. It's utterly repulsive, and it's so stupidly transparent. You know, I'm sure you didn't expect me to go off like this in Psalm 90. And I didn't expect it either, but I'm not done. This man, Moses, was married to a black woman. And look at what God says about him. You know, and if that's the attitude the Hebrews had toward Cushites, Don't you think that maybe the fact that he was married to a black woman might reflect some of the godly character that made God love him? You know how it says in James that we're not supposed to sit the rich man up front? Why? Because the Bible says, who are you to make judgments about people? And so here Abraham, I mean not Abraham, but Moses apparently had the ability of seeing this woman as she was without respect to the color of her skin, right? And maybe that's one part of his godliness. Look, God singles this out for us and tells us about it, and that's profitable, and so what is the application in your life? Look, You think about the relatives that you don't like because they're uneducated. We had one in the Taylor clan. He was quite an interesting character. He'd come to our family reunions, and he'd bring beer, for starters, and that was a no-no. And then he would bring a portable television. That was a double no-no. And then he would, like, hunt. That was a big boo-boo. Because the tailors had nothing to do with beer, had nothing to do with television, and nothing to do with guns. And then he would tell people what he thought. That was the top boo-boo. Because tailors never tell anybody, ever in any, any circumstances, what they think. And they don't feel. And here came Lee. Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot that. And he smoked, sorry. But, you know, that, that, I mean, this is the perfect storm of (laughs) non-Taylorite, you know. And, of course, they're all educated, and he wasn't, he he was an appliance repairman. So I'm asking you to think about your family. And I want you to ask yourself, what sins do you commit because of your prejudice, because of your pride, because of your education, because of your skin color, because of your pedigree? Come on. What sins do you commit and are not honest about them? And people, it is wicked And it caused Miriam to get leprosy. And I tell you, you must know yourself if you're going to enter the kingdom of God. You cannot repent for things you're ignorant of. And if you're willing and look inside yourself, you're going to see the exact same sins of of Miriam and Aaron. Little jokes you make, oh no, you're not racist, but boy, those jokes you tell and I tell. No, you're not classist, but oh boy, you have your children, oh, they're going to be educated. They're going to earn good grades. They're going to ACSAT, and I say, to hell with it. People, God is not impressed by you, by your children, by your skin color because the the man looks on the outward appearance but God looks on the heart. And so here we are, howlies, honkies, Whiteies. All right? And we think that all of our preferences are a matter of principle. And they're not. They're just preferences. But we hold them. We hold them. Absolutely hold them. And what do we do? Instead of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, we proclaim our cultural snobbery. And we act as if that is the kingdom of God. Do you understand this? Now, where does that come from this text? Well, here's where it comes. What is Psalm 90? Psalm 90 is a prayer written by Moses for the people of God. Now, what does that have to do with anything? Well, just imagine if you had inherited centuries of the superior hymnology and and the Western classic music and the weight of the continuation of the Western world was on your shoulders and you could clop it onto Christianity and, and ritualize it every week in your Sunday morning worship services. And teach everybody that your culture is, 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 is the apex that 2,000 years of Christendom have brought us to. And none of that rap. As a matter of fact, nothing but the Psalms and acapella. Listen, people, all an Englishman's preferences are a matter of principle, okay? Do you understand me? If the Bible records that this is the prayer of Moses, the man of God, are you with me? Then I think the Bible is teaching us that men of God will make a new song. Come on. Why is it that scripture is maintained as if it's a museum of dead specimens that can't move and that the more we conform ourselves to the museum and its exhibits and the proctors walking around telling us not to touch anything and not even to take pictures, that we're godly? That that's the regulative principle? I thought the regulative principle was that we should seek to be like men of God. And don't men of God always write poetry to God? Don't they always teach the people that follow them to pray? Wouldn't it be perverse if Scripture is filled with all of these hymns and poems and statements of faith of men of God, and then we were supposed to put ourselves in the straitjacket of having the same cultural expressions, the same meter, and some people even argue that on the basis of the text, they can tell you what the tune is. Listen, I am not against singing the Psalms. I have to tell you that the settings of Psalm 23 probably are among my three or four favorite The king of love, my shepherd is. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me down to lie. In pastures green, he leadeth me. The quiet waters by. Listen. I am not against singing the psalms. But I am absolutely opposed to men and women that take Christendom, Western culture, and say that we must not vary from it and that we must not have a new song. And for them to claim that that's spiritual, for them to claim that that's submitting to the regulative principle, that it's conforming to God's moral law, and they put me in a straitjacket that I cannot encourage our musicians to write new hymns, or if they do, they need to be sung in my home in the living room when we're not having corporate worship. It's absurd. This psalm is, by Moses... It's the prayer of Moses that he taught to his people and this is the regulative principle that as your heart beats for God, you teach your song, you teach your prayer, you write it out and you give it to us so that we can join you. That's the regulative principle that there is welling up within us such love for God such joy in his presence that we have a new song and that we don't think that if we have a new song that means that we can't sing the old song that we have to choose between Jody and Phil and Moses it's just stupid what are they supposed to do with their gifts if they can't be used in corporate worship you say well yeah what about women in leading and I say okay you got me there You know, if women are made to lead, given the gifts, then you should let them lead in the church. And I say, no, because it says no in Scripture. And you say, well, it says no in Scripture to singing anything but the Psalms. I say, nope, doesn't. You say, well, if you read a 300-page book by the Reformed Presbyterians, I go, oh, please. Life is short. I don't need to become a covenanter to know Jesus. And I'm telling you, you have to keep your eye on the ball, people. Not me. I'm not the ball. Your heart, your sinful heart is the ball. You need to read the controversies in the church through your own sinful heart. And you need to realize how easy it is for an Englishman to argue that his preferences are a matter of the regulative principle. Because let me tell you something. There's a denomination in this country. You take away the Psalter-only acapella and there's no raison d'être left. There's no reason to exist. There's no purpose in being left. It's gone because then they're just like all the rest of us. They're confessional and they're reformed and they're biblical. Okay, that's Racism. And that's psalter-only a cappella. And we haven't gotten to the psalm. That's just the beginning. Right? But it's cold outside. So I'll just do a little bit more. All right? Preach Preach it. Okay. Now, I hope that you don't think that I'm grandstanding about the RPs. Because I've said this to them personally before I've ever said it from the pulpit. But I have a dear friend, well, he's a dear friend of Michael and and Ben's, and therefore has become a friend of ours, who ministers with the RPs in Africa. He tells me in Africa they use drums. And I know here in Bloomington, when every time I've worshipped with them, they've used a pitch pipe. And if you put drums and a pitch pipe together, you have a pipe organ. Rhythm one place and tone the other, and clomp them together, and that's it. So, listen golf, four part harmony, colors, education, sports, soccer, baseball. Or curling, cars, models, clothing, the music you listen to in private, movies, schooling, curriculum. a pox upon it all. Honestly, think about it. What do you want to spend your capital on? Do you want to spend your capital signing your superiority to the people around you because of your taste in music? Think about how you spend the capital during a week. What is it that you want to make certain that people know that you're bright, Who cares? All that brightness is going to do is give you a, better, a larger burden to explain to God what you didn't do with it when you're dead and judged. What, that you used to be a figure skater? How long can you milk that? Now, of course, I'm talking about Tennille because we all know that Tennille doesn't milk it at all. But put yourself in her shoes. If she was prissy about having been an Olympic-level figure skater, competitor. (laughs) Would you like to kneel then? Be truthful. She was always reminding you what a competitor she was and how quickly she could bounce up from a fall. Nobody would like her. So what are you irritating people with by signing your snobbery and superiority to everybody? I mean, come on, every single one of you has something that you hold tender that you use to one-up yourself on everybody else. And the most disgusting one is weakness. Some of you, the way that you one-up yourself over people is your weakness, and I spit upon you. That is the quintessential postmodernist who is absolutely adamant about his weakness and goes through life as a victim. And there is nothing of Christian faith in that. (laughs) Right? Nothing. How can that be faithful? To go around oppressing everybody with your victimhood. So whatever it is, Moses was married to what? A Cushite woman. And what is Cushite? It's black. Okay? She was an African. And Miriam and Aaron, Moses' brother and sister, felt that this reflected poorly on their family relations, right? Right? Come on. And so what did God do? And they lied about it. They didn't acknowledge what their real motivation was. And what did God do? Huh? He made her really white. She got what she wanted, didn't she? And that's told us for the sake of telling us something else, which is, how did Moses respond? All right, The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he departed. But when the cloud had withdrawn from the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. And as Aaron turned toward Miriam, behold, she was leprous. And you know at the time, being a leper meant that you were absolutely outside the camp. You had to go around unclean, unclean. You couldn't live with your family. You couldn't live in your home. You were an outcast of an outcast. And then Aaron said to Moses, "Oh, my Lord, I beg you, do not account this sin to us in which we have acted foolishly and in which we have sinned. Oh, do not let her be like one dead. That's what it was like to have leprosy. Whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. And Moses cried out to the Lord saying, Oh, God, heal her, I pray. But the Lord said to Moses, This is is fascinating. So what's Moses like? Oh, Lord, heal her. He cried out. The Lord said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, would she not bear her shame for seven days? Let her be shut up for seven days outside the camp and afterward she may be received again. So Miriam was shut up outside the camp for seven days and the people did not move on until Miriam was received again. Afterward, however, the people moved out from Hazareth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Did you notice at the very beginning, verse 1? Go up to verse 1 if you can, please. Did you notice which name has precedence? Did you notice that? Miriam. It's clear she takes the leadership. It's clear she's the one that feels most strongly about it and is the leader wasn't because Aaron was uncomfortable with leadership, right? Miriam. And so who got the leprosy? Miriam got the leprosy. You know, this is one that the feminists don't trot out. <laughs> Miriam seized her destiny. She led. And she led in what she thought was her strong suit. whiteness. And the Lord made her white. And when Moses was so meek that he tried to ameliorate, to remove, to heal, to, to immediately take away God's judgment. God is obviously irritated with Moses. Because he says to him, come now. Her dad spit on her. No, no, no. She's going to wear this seven days. Right, So that's just the preface. And if David will approve, if Stephen will approve, we'll go on. Because there's like many more pages in my sermon. I haven't gotten to the psalm yet. And the psalm's wonderful. One last exhortation. So study what your principles are that you think are principles but are prejudices, okay? Look in your heart and see what makes you feel snobby, okay? Don't turn that into Christian faith. Don't turn that into Christian faith. And don't think because you're uneducated that you're not in danger. Uneducated people hate educated people. All right? Don't think because you're poor you can't love money. Some of the people I've known that are most grasping and in love with money are poor people. So look in your heart and see what it is that causes you to look down on other people. And then look at how you're dishonest about it, just like Miriam and Aaron, and get rid of that. God will not have it. Okay? And then... When God teaches you to write poetry and music, write it and bring it as your offering. And don't think that that the purpose of the church is to be a museum where nothing ever moves because it's all dead. You should be writing new songs because you should be writing new prayers, because you should be teaching your small groups your new songs and your new prayers. Do you know that last Sunday we sang? Uh, Jody, maybe I'm wrong. Did Amy write that? Created me a clean heart. Is that Keith Green? I never heard anybody but Amy and Al do it. It's such a simple ditty. But it's wicked Oh yeah, but 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 it has like a contemporary tune. Yeah, but that, those Hebrew vowel points, you know, they're they're actually notes. Have you ever thought that the principle of a to psalter only means you can't sing the Lord's Prayer? It's sin. And how about great is thy faithfulness? Wrong book of the Old Testament, Lamentations 3. Listen. Are you ready for this? There are enemies to the right. You know that old political statement, no enemy to the right? Nobody can be more conservative than I am. You ever heard that? God is a God of freedom. God tells us in his word that we have been created for freedom and that the freedom comes through Jesus Christ. It is not simply freedom from pornography. What an awful thing to spend your life fighting against pornography when there's so much beauty to be embraced marriage. (laughs) I, I can't tell you how beautiful marriage is. Imagine if we spent our lives just trying to avoid failure and mistakes and sins. And so sing a new song. Write a new song. Write a new prayer. Write a new poem. Okay? and I'll, I'll, I'll end with the scripture that we started with just to prove to you that it does come from the text, right? Because I'm feeling insecure about that right now. Okay, so here it is, I'm shaking. Okay, quick. And I can't even say what verse it is because it's actually not a verse of scripture. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Moses, that he taught us to sing and to pray. Thank you that he was married to a black woman. Thank you, Father, for heroes like John Piper, in our own time, who have stood against racism and have gone and gotten arrested at abortion clinics. Thank you, Father, that you have not left us without a witness and that we too may repent and be made clean. And we pray that this church will be filled with Hispanics' with those who do not have uh, green cards, with those from China, with those from Africa, with those who smoke cigarettes and live in double whites. We pray, Father, that in this church there will be neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.